Welcome to episode number 30 of Developer Melange, the podcast about developing software in the 21st century directly from Vienna, Austria. Developer Melange brings a regular discussions about everything software development. You can find us online on developermelange.github.io and you can follow us on Twitter via at devmelange, that's dev, M-E-L-A-N-G-E. We are very keen on learning what you think about the show or the podcast itself, so please reach out for us on Twitter or leave your comments on our website. We appreciate all your feedback. If you'd like to pay our drinks in a future episode, please contact us. And here are your hosts. My name is Christian Haas. I am a developer who embraces extreme programming. I'm Peter Kovler, the code cop. Obviously, I'm fanatic about clean code. My name is David. I'm an enthusiastic software professional working in various projects using a bunch of different stacks and environments. And here, welcome to our guest, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Patrick and me, we met the first time, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think last year at AgentCon. Mm -hmm. So you were MC there. And um, I didn't know you before, um, but we we actually met in Vienna um, a couple of weeks later. And then I already asked you if you want to join our podcast once. Yes. And now we're finally here. Yeah, <laughs> finally we did it. <laughs> so welcome. Can you shortly introduce yourself, Patrick? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Patrick. I'm an open source um, engineer located in Vienna. Uh, I'm mostly specialized on static type systems in JavaScript. Um, and I've been part of the ReasonML community. ReasonML is a programming language for almost three years now. And uh, luckily, I was uh, also one of the co-organizers of the first, like the very first ReasonML conference, which was happening in Vienna in 2018. And we had a second conference as well in 2019. And it has grown really big, and I'm really proud of it. Um, yeah, and ReasonML itself is like a passion of mine uh, I'm currently pursuing. Mm -hmm. Cool. So will there be a ReasonML 2020 then? Uh, unfortunately not. Um, we had different plans which are um, more important for the ReasonML community and um, yeah, these are actually more exciting than have another conference. We Then we can of like for next year, you can present something much, much bigger. So you're taking a break to present at the next conference something much, much bigger. Exactly, yes. Sounds so we have some uh, something people can get excited about. I think the most important part of a conference should be kind of like the, the inspiration, the keynote, um, where really milestones are presented where people can see, okay, there's traction um, in the community. There's a lot of development going on. There's like these features coming out. And if we just take this one year um, of a break, we have a much better timing on putting more features of the core team into one single package and then present it at once. I feel like this has a much bigger impact. But isn't that not the... the the dangerous part that you say the same thing next year again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you say if you wait three years, you have much more to present. And this is reminds me a little bit of product releases, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And the thing is, um, we have spent quite a lot of time, like we, me and a colleague, Nick Graf, and and also Andre uh, Oko Tetchinkov, mm. uh, have been working together on this conference, 
And it's amazing how much time goes into such a conference when you organize yeah. it. And I was just looking at the at my time tracking, and I had like two hundred to three hundred hours in there. And I was like, okay, what was uh, what would happen if I take this time and just invest in building documentation infrastructure or um, work on certain tools in the ReasonML community? What would happen with that? Mm-hmm. And um, so, what I can tell right now is that we have been spending a lot of time into organizing or actually founding an organization which is called the Reason Association. It's a non-profit organization um, dedicated to to and like to improve the ecosystem of the ReasonML programming language. And we needed that for accommodating the conference itself because if you have a conference, you need some legal entity behind it. Otherwise, um, people are at risk on their personal cost if something goes wrong. Mm. And if you have like an organization then it's much, much easier to organize. So we put much time into getting this legal foundation um, settled. And as far as I know, we are the only organization dedicated to this programming language right, right now. So it's, like, so it's kind of like Python Foundation and because the reason ML is, I don't know when it was invented or, or found, so how old is the language itself? Uh, the language is uh, like first released in 2016 something. Okay, so it's like, Pretty it's a new, pretty young language. Pretty young, yeah. so it's like also you created the foundation, however you call it, as a legal entity that is there to support the community and whatever, because it didn't exist before, I guess. Exactly. That's okay, that's, that's is, really interesting. Is Reason ML, is it not somehow a successor of Reason itself? Is Reason not also a programming language or mixing up things here now? So uh, it, this is very confusing. Like the, the language itself is called Reason, mm-hmm. and uh, to make it more Googleable, it's called ReasonML. Oh, okay. uh, the ML stands for meta language. It's not machine learning or something. Um, it's it has its heritage in an ML based uh, language. But so it's really the same language. Reason and then was Reason was and ReasonML are the same. The same. Yes. Yes. I guess Reason is something you can never Google, like the pony language. I don't know if you know about it. Yeah, it's impossible to find anything because all you get is little ponies. Mm-hmm. There's a similar problem with Go as well. Yeah, searching for Go is difficult, so mo- the search monikers typically go lang. Yeah, but that uh, also Pony Lang didn't help me at all. Maybe okay. it's better now. I, I I saw a talk two years ago, and then I was looking for the material. I couldn't I couldn't even find the homepage. Right? Couldn't. Mm-hmm. I know, but Go Lang, I never had problems with finding any material on mm-hmm. Go. No, so it's uh, yeah, that's uh, painful. So it's kind of more like a marketing name then, right? Yeah, it's the marketing name. And it also looks better on paper. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it's not just a name. So, yeah. and this this Reason ML Foundation, or what's the name of it? Or how it's called it? Reason Association. Okay. We don't. Uh, we refrain from naming it Foundation because of Austrian law. Yeah. Um, they don't want you to take Foundation as a name because that's because that's something else in 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 in, in, in yeah right now like in the legal system. German speaking right? law, it's different. Like a foundation has a different legal setting. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we took association uh, just to to clarify this whole thing. Reason or ReasonML is a programming language designed and and um, engineered by Facebook. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, the the author, the original author of the syntax, um, is also the the person who made ReactJS or who made the groundwork for ReactJS. Um, we are just representing the community part of it. 
we are not related to Facebook or um, we are not anyhow connected. We are independently raising money from different companies who are interested in the technology, who are relying on this technology and try to push that forward, uh, at least in a community part. And as you said, with the Python Foundation, mm -hmm. uh, you can imagine it kind of like the, maybe not as drastic, but Node.js, which used to be um, managed by Joyant, I think. Mm -hmm. And then you had the open source part and they had a struggle in between uh, where they forked Node.js to IOJS. I don't want yeah, to say yeah. we're like the drastic, but just to to make the difference that we are kind of like the community, we are interested in pushing this forward and we try to push something forward even if the company um, you know, refrains from adding features. We can still do things independently from the company. It is like, is there... How did this stuff actually well, wait, end? Wait, this, wait, this... Uh, I, I started to talk. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so how is the legal? Like, is it open source language? Oh, you can have the word no, in a second. I already is forgot it... my question now. <laughs> <laughs> so is it a, like, is it an open source language? So can you, uh, so how's, the, how's the legal there? Um, yeah, so ReasonML, the syntax is located in a Facebook repository, but it's open source with MIT license. Okay. Um, the rest of the ecosystem... Um, for instance, the React.js bindings and um, also the compiler are all open source and unrelated in different organizations. So they're just somewhere on GitHub, basically, I guess. Yeah, so the only thing you will find under the Facebook namespace will be Reason as the syntax ReasonML. Okay. And, and Reason only compiles to JavaScript, I, I guess. So. Reason compiles to different platforms, Um but the main focus of ReasonML, in my opinion, is the JavaScript platform. Okay, and which other platforms do you support? Um, so it compiles to native as well. So you can either compile it to bytecode, which mm -hmm. can be run in a virtual machine, or uh, you can compile it to machine code, like specifically for any platform. It supports Linux, macOS, and Windows for sure. So is it like a LLVM output or something like that? This Seems pretty common nowadays, like a lot of languages also have that and then you can be native or WebAssembly or whatever you want. Right? Yeah, it's um, so it compiles with a little runtime in it, yeah. Kind of like Go in a way. Go does also like compile to like a single executable, Yeah. but also compiles in the runtime for this code because you have garbage collector yeah. in there. So there's some infrastructure coming with the executable. Yeah. Okay. But it's pretty lean, and uh, one cool thing about it is that the natively compiled code is really, really fast. Also, the, the reason syntax itself is compiled as executable, um, and some tooling in the ecosystem are compiled with the native tool chain. Um, you can actually use it as a user, but the focus of reason itself, in my opinion, is still the JavaScript developer that you as a JavaScript developer go to this language and it looks automatically familiar to you because it looks very much like um, ECMAScript 6. Okay. So that, that, that was the goal. Yeah. To have a better JavaScript kind of. Like yeah. Kotlin is the better Java kind of. Or yeah. At least the goal was it, right? And it has some nice features <laughs> uh, which we can talk about. Yeah, but I think it's, it's much harder to, to build a better JavaScript and to build a better Well, Java, you didn't right? see the quotes <laughs> that are... Uh, uh, you think it's, it's easier to... No, can you repeat? You said it's easier to do a I better JavaScript it's, it's than a better Java? Around, yeah. The other way around. Uh, no, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, oh, but but the, the 
the goal is really um, then to transpile it down to JavaScript. So, so what are really the big advantages in comparison to TypeScript, CoffeeScript, all those things? Right. Mm-hmm. So the biggest advantage is that it's based on an ML-based uh, type system um, coming back from uh, from a very stable compiler, which uh, which does more, which goes more the functional route. So if you know functional programming languages, um, it has some concepts which are really intriguing. For instance, um, the language itself doesn't know the concept of null, so you don't have any nulls in there. Uh, you have other powerful constructs which you can use um, like. to express nullability. Uh, one one data structure is called a variant. Okay. And if you look it up, like if you look at a variant in your source code, it kind of looks like an enum. So for instance, there are some built-in variants, which is called um, option, for instance. Mm-hmm. And an option can encode an optional value, mm-hmm. kind of like in Kotlin or in... Mm-hmm. in also in Java, yeah. Yeah, Pretty also in Java. Nowadays, yeah. And... Um, but what's the difference now between an option and a variant? Uh, an option is a specific type of a variant. Uh, like option is just a variant, your common variant, but it's just built in as a standard library thing so people rely on one option and not like different you can define your own option if you want to but you you would be rather using the the official option type okay so it's just a specific variant yeah the the cool thing is that variants are so powerful that you can use it for almost everything um when you're designing programs and so what is it? Is it a monad or what is a variant? It's not a monad. It's um, <laughs> it really is just a value. You you can imagine it like this. I could, um, for instance, if you're familiar with Redux, yeah. you you have actions, yeah. right? You dispatch actions to your reducers, and you could define a variant called action type action equals, and then you can just give it names. For instance, um, add user or remove user. And you pipe them together with the pipe syntax. So, so you like just in, a, like in, in, in TypeScript. So is it a union a, type? Kind of like a union type, yeah. but a little bit more powerful. Um, it's very hard to describe um, without showing you the code. But um, but you're trying hard, I see. It. Yeah, but, but if, just imagine it. an enum <laughs> in TypeScript. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you're also capable of attaching data to this enum value. So like an enum in Java. Can you do that? Yeah. Enum in Java is a full class, so you can add uh, arbitrary implementation on each value. Which other languages like C sharp, I'm always missing missing that. Like what it's not really an enum, right? In C sharp it's just numbers. Mm. Or like in C. Sure. Right? Yeah, I guess. Um and another thing, because yeah, I was talking about stopping you. So oh, okay, it's yeah. like an enum with logic or with data. With data. As a immutable data or like fixed data? Um, the default data structures for data are immutable. You have okay. records okay. and you have lists. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can use that, but you can also use arrays or um, you can even define mutable fields in a record, mm-hmm. but you need to be explicit about it. Mutability is always an opt-in feature. It's not mm-hmm. Immutability is usually the default you're handling. Well, we could talk about type systems for ages, but <laughs> let's uh, before we do that, maybe let's go back. So you you uh, you found it, or uh, like you and these other uh, guys you were mentioning, I guess, like you and Nick, and uh, yeah, you, uh, you the founded reason... the association, and then what's happening now? Um, 
So what we're doing right now is we're building... Um, so we have been doing this break right now. So this mm -hmm. year's break is dedicated to the documentation platform. So your 200 hours will go into open source development. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So the, the problem right now for me, or what I believe is a problem, in ReasonML we have many different projects, mm -hmm. and every project is kind of related to each other. For mm -hmm. instance, we have the compiler, and we have the syntax, and we also have things like the, the React bindings and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And usually they move in an atomic way. Whenever there's a release, they need to update everything on every platform, like the documentation, the source mm -hmm. code, the releases. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. And it's, a, it's kind of like a monolith. But the documentation is organized as if it were like microservices. There's like many, many websites where you can find your information. And a lot of people got confused about it. Whenever there's a newbie coming in, uh, they were asking, okay, where can I find this information? I was like, um, I want to do, uh, I want to write bindings for my JavaScript library. And then I couldn't find it on the ReasonML homepage. Why? Mm -hmm. and, and this was a, this is a continuous problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we did is we initiated a project which is called reasonml.org. Mm -hmm. So we have this open source project out there. Um, everyone can check out uh, on reasonml.org. It's even deployed already. It's a, it's a work in progress platform. And um, we basically took all the documentation of the core platform and put it on one side. Mm -hmm. And now we are trying to refine it in a way that it makes sense to a JavaScript developer. And in the second step, make it uh, in a way that we can also expose information about the native workflow that you can compile to native platform as well. Because that is currently just very confusing and you need to find all the bits of information everywhere and ask in our discourse channel. There is like a chat mm -hmm. where you can hit up people and people know a lot, but the, the knowledge is just temporary. It's hidden, yeah. yeah. Is there any management intention from Facebook about ReasonML? Management intention. <laughs> I'm working too long in enterprise software already. <laughs> now, does does, <laughs> does Facebook have any? Uh, do they work um, or do they participate actively on on this um, on this ReasonML um, platform or idea? So uh, Facebook has been really supportive, and especially, I mean, you cannot really tell a company is supportive because most of the time it's individuals in a company who are supportive. And the core team of Reason and Reason React are amazing. Like you, you can hit them up with any questions, and if you want to, like organize something, uh, they have always been helping out. Mm -hmm. And whenever, when we had our conference, when we had our keynote speaker Cheng, for instance, Cheng Lu, um, he was just organizing it in a way that we don't have any costs, so they can fly in from the U.S. And mm -hmm. it was super nice uh, working with them so far. Um, there's still like the, the, the bigger problem is more that there is, um, there is a split in, in the mindset of what the language should be. Mm -hmm. A lot of people believe that ReasonML is the perfect language for building native UI. And other people think that it is the only language for building reason react applications or JavaScript applications. Mm -hmm. And there hasn't been much, um, like leadership, like putting up a direction, yeah. like where to go, so and you missed a vision. There is no reason, Guido. Right? <laughs> you know. Yeah, what I feel I, like nobody I mean, wants like to take the shot yeah. and and call out a like a vision statement. Uh, there is a lot of internal discussions going on what the language should be, but 
there is no official statement per se. Is it is is the language itself somehow opinionated for UI development? Because it is I mean opinionated the... for that, yeah. Okay. So the the one of the core features is that GSX, the the way how you express HTML in React components, is built into the language. So you have first class support for this syntax, and it also improved a lot on the GSX paradigm. So it added some features which make it nicer to use it. Um, so it's it's really UI oriented, okay. I would say. Okay. And it's also very functional oriented. So more like functional UI where you have component yeah. models or whatever. Yeah, React itself always followed functional concepts, right? Yeah. I would say. Um, mm-hmm. A lot yeah. of ideas actually for for the Hooks API also come from from the architecturing and the and the ideas of Reason React. Okay. So with, with with a lack of, of let's say vision or at least not clear statement where it is going, what would be the how do developers come up to use reason? What would be the, the, the deciding factors? So how do uh, I don't quite understand the question. So how do people think why? in which direction it should go? Why or? do no. people use it? How how does a developer oh. come to the idea, okay, I'm going to do this in reason? I mean th- it does communicate the the fact that it's it has first class support for Reason React, uh, for React Chess, I mean, mm-hmm. and Facebook Messenger has been converted one hundred percent to Reason React. So when you're using the the Facebook Messenger app on the web, uh, you're using a Reason application, or an application which was compiled from a Reason mm-hmm. code base. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as I can tell from uh, from our Reason conference in the U.S., we had one in Chicago in in fall last year. Um, Jordan Walk uh, was telling that in Facebook they're using Reason a lot in the ads infrastructure. So this is something uh, which is really intriguing because it's like it's a core it's, it's a core part of of uh, Facebook's infrastructure mm-hmm. and. This is something people want to rely on as well. Yeah, it seems like if they are dog fooding, then it must be working. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. So, well, you said there are two groups. I thought maybe that's obvious because only early, early adopters are using Reason now, right? It's not really a mainstream and it won't be soon. So if you have early adopters, uh, there can't be a shared vision, right? Because it's all like all, all strong people with strong ideas that just using it. It's typically early adopters of things. So I'm not sure if you can have a vision right now or what, what's your ideas. Does it make sense what I'm saying? I feel like, yeah, I mean, uh, we had a lot of early adopters yeah. and a lot of early adopters have been using Reason for almost one and a half years. And for most of them, it's clear that they want to continue with the Reason React part. Like mm-hmm. with the React.js application part, um, there is a lot of technical stuff going on where people want to build a new Rails um, on Reason or Reason on Rails. Client, reason on Rails. Like client side Rails, basically. Yeah, oh, they want to do it natively, actually. So they want to have the server oh, as well okay. on, like, on yeah. Reason, on, on the native part. But I think this is like highly experimental right now. Funny. There is a lot of infrastructure missing for that still. But so 
as I said, there's like this split, like there's tinkerers who want to, to build really, really cool stuff, which mm-hmm. is cool. Um, and then you have more the pragmatic folks who just want to ship yeah, products. Yeah, use it for the React. And they use it for the React part. Mm-hmm. And we use it for our documentation platform as well. And I think it's, um, it's in a point where people are highly productive and we just need to uh, take this information and make it a nice bundled thing where people can just easily rely on. I think the vision is there, but it's still a little bit hidden. We, we know actually in which direction to go, but we just need a little bit more coordination on the community side to, um, to go this direction like together. And how is the, the whole ecosystem around it? So it's comparatively a new language and, and, and environment. What about, I don't know, IDEs, for instance, or package management, versioning, linters, for instance? Yeah. For the, so for the IDE part, for the editor, there is a Visual Studio Code plugin, which is really, really nice. Um, it uses the language server protocol, which means it integrates really well in most editors. I'm using, personally, uh, Vim. I'm a huge Vim fan and Terminal fan. Um, also, the VS Code thing, as I heard, is pretty good. When I use it, it's also really nice to use. Uh, there's also an IntelliJ plugin for it, um, for WebStorm and whatnot. For the ecosystem for packages, there is NPM. It's NPM-backed. The whole, workflow, yeah. the whole workflow is based on NPM. So you get the compiler um, via package.json file. And the bindings are also reason code which compile to JavaScript and um, just import the, the package you're used to on NPM. So let's uh, I have another question there. So is it like are you are you creating a mashup of all uh, documentation and you wanna make it centralized? Is that one of the goals? Yes. So we wanted to collocate all the documentation on one platform and make sure that the, the maintainers are fine with that because okay. I think that the the biggest challenge here is just the change management, um, mm-hmm. making people toe on one toe. And um, so yeah, do, so do you want them to to publish it on your site and uh, eventually, like exclusively, in the end, or is... it's not our site? It's more like it should be the community yeah, side. Okay, the, so but at the moment, we wanted to add them as collaborators. Right? They have full access to it. They can do whatever they want. Okay, and um, we just make sure that we sync all the information in one platform. That's that should be the goal. Mm-hmm. But you were also talking about that some documentation is missing, so you also want to to create documentation, right? You said about this this. So where would that go? Is that then only available on this on the on the Reason Association site? No, Reason uh, ML dot org. You said right. Yeah, everything what we can find in the official resources right now should definitely be available on ReasonML.org, dot mm-hmm. But we will also add new information there, which is um, not being synced to the original sources. Because a lot of this information doesn't make sense if you don't have all the information in one place. Mm-hmm. If you think about different versions of documentation, mm-hmm. it's getting really complex. Uh, for instance, we we made sure we have a schema um, of the latest documentations. We have the latest documentation mm-hmm. on there, but you can also have older documentation on there, which points to version five of, of this specific compiler, and. If you have all the information in one version checked into your GitHub, it's much, much easier to um, cross-link between mm-hmm. these sections. Exactly. 
when when you have them loosely linked together via global URLs, it's really really problematic to verify, and this gives us a lot of possibilities. Everything is maintained in Markdown, mm -hmm. and Markdown is parsable. Mm -hmm. You can create an AST out of it and analyze everything in there. Mm -hmm. So what we did is one thing, which I'm really happy that we have that, is we can verify every code snippet mm -hmm. on the platform. So whenever you publish a new version um, of the compiler, you can basically go to this website, mm -hmm. uh, to this oh. code base, and then run a script which takes all the reason examples which are marked as checkable and all the API documentation what we write um, when you're mm -hmm. looking up the, the array functions mm -hmm. or whatever. And it will tell you if it compiles or not. And we, okay. like in this case, when we um, uploaded the, the standard library of like the standard library of the reason compiler, we discovered that um, 60-70% of the examples were not even compiling. Yeah. And this is a challenge because when people are starting out of a language, mm -hmm. you want to take as many hurdles from them as of possible. Course. Like if they just copy-paste it, it should just work. Yeah. And this way we could fix all the examples. And another one is also really cool. Um, we implemented uh, a procedure which takes all the, the relative hrefs. Mm -hmm. Like when you have a link mm -hmm. in a markdown, mm -hmm. it points to another site it will check if the site even exists. Mm -hmm. So we can verify on CI level if you're posting or pushing information uh, which doesn't compile, like which is not viable. Mm -hmm. Or like you get it. in 404. Like so you have a lot of static analysis basically on your text documents because exactly. they are semi-structured. I liked it. Do you plan to open source this tooling for other documentation platforms maybe? If you go to reasonml.org, there's a link to our GitHub. Everything is open source. We are not allowed to build something which is not open source. And do you have any backers or contributors or supporters, sorry, for, for this initiative? Yes. We have uh, two big f um, sponsors. One of them is Ahrefs. They are also partners of all our conferences we organized so far, mm -hmm. or the last two at least. Um, they are a, a Singapore-located uh, company, which does a lot of um, SEO keyword optimization software. Mm -hmm. And they use Reason uh, a lot in their products. And they are also using like um, the native part of Reason as well. And yeah, they were super supportive of that. Another sponsor is the Teasers Foundation. So if you're aware of the blockchain technology Teasers, um, they are also really interested in Reason because um, their smart contract language is built on the same foundation and they also provide a Reason syntax for that. So you can also use the knowledge of Reason to go to Teasers and write smart contracts with that. And they also want us to, to um, spread the word about Teasers and that you can combine it with Reason React. Yeah, of course, they also have their agendas. <coughs> so is it already like that mature that there are companies, early adopter companies, but still use it for production? What, what would be your estimate? How many companies use it for production? I cannot tell how many companies there are, but I know that there are two in Vienna. <laughs> in Vienna? Okay. Yes. Um, the one is called Travel World. Uh, they are building uh, a platform where you can uh, book your travels mm -hmm. and you get certain discounts when you when you uh, take some specials. 
uh, or a special booking. So if you book more than than usual, and they also had like this issue: should we use TypeScript or should we use something else? Mm-hmm. And and uh, they came along reason, and they were really happy with it. So they stick with it, and they're really productive as far as I know. And the other one is called uh, CCA.io. And what they built was they built a whole um, railway safety security application for, I think, the French and Swiss uh, railways. Mm -hmm. So when you think about what happens when a train passes by a red light, there needs something to be like happening, a process, right? So you have a conductor who needs to call into the the central and, and then tick a lot of boxes um, in a form and then they need to sign it off and, and make sure that everything works uh, because if there is an accident or if there is a mistake, like if the UI doesn't register it something and, and fills out the wrong thing or if certain business logic is uh, wrong, then trains can collide or whatever. So they need to make sure that this application is like rock solid and that's why they wanted to opt into a safer language which is an ML-based language. It reminds me of your work, Christian. Did you have any? Did you do anything on the UI to make sure the UI is capturing everything, or like adding additional work on the UI on your on your uh, the on UI, last project? The UI would be the same or the same scrutiny as everything else, as for uh, safety. In this yeah, but did you add additional code? Well, scrutiny means you had tests for that, and but did would you add additional code like to? I don't know, I like a polling that would poll that it's still responsive. Or I, I don't know if this is reasonable, but something to make it more, how did you mention, it's like more reliable? Yeah. Because you're using just standard UI components, right? Um, yeah, no, essentially, yes. So there is no, no, there was no extra built-in cross-check functionality. Though I'm, at the same time, I was curious about the, the applicability of, let's say, reason for instance, in a safety critical environment, because it is a really new language, because in the in the safety critical areas, you have various uh, guides and or rules, even laws to uphold. So I would then be curious as to how they managed to, let's say, provide all the evidence that reason is applicable or usable in a safety critical environment. Enough, basically, right? Mm-hmm. right. So to give a little bit more insights on what Reason is built on, Reason is a syntax mm-hmm. um, to a different platform, which is OCaml. And I don't even want to mention it too much because I think it's not too important. But for this reason, it's good. Um, the OCaml compiler is a compiler or a type system which has been around for 20 years. There's a tremendous amounts of effort in making sure this type system is sound. Um, but has still a lot of like escape hatches if needed. So you can basically scale your safetyness uh, really well. The default is as sound as possible. Um, so you were saying like this gives us entry to a language that has maybe already proof that it's that it's safe or like that it's correct. I yeah. Guess, right? I mean, it's, Java doesn't have that, or you did C, C++, or the C++ for sure can't have that, right? There's no, there's no theory about C++ well, being well, safe. Well, there is. There so is, you, okay. can, you can have... Because um, you use the, the subset, right? So you couldn't... It would be even the next step. So, for instance, the automotive industry uses a subset of 
C or C++ languages. Okay. And Got so okay. with, with the OCaml as the baseline compiler, so do I understand this then right? The reason itself, like I said, is just the syntax and in the background you, they are using, uh, you're using the a standard OCaml compiler then? Um, the, the reason compiler is actually a modified version of the OCaml compiler mm -hmm. because um, there is certain optimizations in there which are required to better compile to JavaScript. So it does a lot of things which OCaml couldn't do um, if it just... I mean, you can take the OCaml bytecode, run it through JS of OCaml, which is another tool, and you get out a JavaScript bundle, which is essentially the program compiled to JavaScript. But the bundle itself is huge. Like it needs to put in the whole runtime of OCaml mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. And you get several megabytes of, of data mm -hmm. out of it. And with BuckleScript, it takes the module approach where it says it takes one reason module and compiles it into one JavaScript module. And you can define which kind of module it should be, if it should be CommonJS, if it should be ES6 modules, or if it should be, you know, common uh, like this combination of it. Um, um, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, UMD format or whatever. Commentiers, huh? the, the unified model definition. There is UMD. a third one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. anyways, yeah. and it does also a lot of, of interesting things. For instance, you can have tail recursive functions which are compiled into a while loop. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and it also does some uh, inlining. So if you're like calculating two strings together, which are static strings, um, it would just append them together during the compilation time and then it doesn't do that during runtime but can you can you give us a, a little bit of information about what what is then this this whole reasonml ocaml and and i at least know that f sharp is also some kind of an ocaml implementation right or at least it's it has the same heritage yeah it's, so so what is what is the advantage of those languages in comparison to, to other functional languages like Clojure or Haskell? I think they, they F-sharp and, and Reason go a very pragmatic approach. Um, they compile really, really fast. That means uh, you can have a very fast feedback loop. Okay. It's very, very well suited for hot reloading stuff. Um, it's, it's pragmatic enough to get things done. It allows you to have enough escape hatches. Uh, escape hatches, you mean side effects? For instance, side effects, or you can have um, um, you can have a bindings API which makes sense for JavaScript. In Elm, you have the ports thing, yeah. where you have to serialize and deserialize stuff. You don't need to do that in in Reason. You can rely on certain it unsafe, right? It makes it unsafe, yes, but you need this unsafeness to be pragmatic in a sense. But you can still fine tune it in a way that um, that you can isolate it in certain components. But it's still a very functional language, right? It's, it's a very not functional a different language, yeah. concept that functional languages is just an functional language. Yeah, you have built-in immutable data structures, you have sure. pipe yeah. syntax, you can compose functions together, um, you have modules with, with like composable um, features, you can create modules um, during runtime okay. with different type imp implementations. There's a lot of nice, simple mechanics in there. And you have the meta programming facilities as well. Okay. Okay. Cool. For code generation stuff built in. I guess in, in all the these new languages you have to have some sort of escape hatches, be it yeah. now in Rust or Go or well, Reason as well, in simply in order to be compatible or inter or to have some sort of 
compatibility with the existing ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's a, that's. A yeah, thing. also even old languages like C Sharp have that, right? The unsafe right. or the Sun Misc unsafe. So it's they all have this uh, mm. nat- branch to native code, right? It's the same. If I'm oh. going to some native code, I can do everything. Yeah. So and, and like uh, mm-hmm. the speed of this compiler is probably the, the the biggest advantage. Like if you have a bigger code base in TypeScript or whatnot, uh, you will realize or you notice that TypeScript is built on JavaScript, like the type checker and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just it cannot ta- keep up with a natively compiled compiler. I would like to see TypeScript to be re-implemented in Rust or whatever, yeah. just to to have the performance. And yeah, this is also one major well, there's, advantage. There's, a, there's a, at least um, a Webpack alternative written in Rust, right? How is it called? Um, so they, that's, I think that's a big problem in the JavaScript ecosystem that all the tooling is written in JavaScript, which makes it quite slow, yeah. Um, it's okay. a double-edged sword. Yeah. But it's dog fooding, so it's also good, right? That, that's true, yeah. That's true. That's what I, That's what inspired me a lot when I hit the, the JavaScript space a few years ago that I said, hey, they solve all their problems with JavaScript, yeah. right? That, is, that was kind of interesting, but it has, of course, performance bottlenecks, yeah? I think um, especially big big Angular, big React applications have the problems if, if the whole um, um, if the whole TypeScript compiler yeah, or the whole It's Angular not anymore refresh and see your change. So this is long gone. <laughs> yeah. sure. the, well, and I think a functional language makes hot reloading even easier because um, the, the, the isolation of those mm-hmm. things is, is usually much easier because the state is, is in a dedicated place, right? So you can easily hot reload, and especially in, in functional languages. Yeah. Okay, this was, I think this was really interesting. Uh, what, I, what I really like is um, that you're so passionate about this language, right, and that you support it so much, um, even in, in, in doing conferences, in, in writing documentation, which I think is actually the hardest path as a programmer to write documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we could also talk about this, of, of course, more in detail. I would really be interested in how you learned this, because I think it's not so easy to write good documentation for, for, for a language or for a platform like ReasonML. Um, but maybe as a last question, as we are, as we are um, uh, slowly hitting the end of this episode, how, how would you describe the, the learning curve of, of ReasonML in, in comparison to other languages? Do you think it's very tough for beginners? Is it just tough because the documentation was not as good as it will be now in the future? Or is it is it just tough because it's it kind of contains different paradigms than most React or JavaScript developers know? I think this is a tricky question because it highly depends on where you're coming from. I believe yeah. I believe if you have never been exposed to JavaScript and you go into JavaScript and you need to learn all this stuff, like you need to understand how Webpack works, you need to understand what ES6 is, what features are supported, how you do classes, how you do private stuff, like abstraction, um, how do you... You know, like you, or should I use TypeScript or should I use just plain JavaScript? Yeah. And and what is a linter and how does this all fit together? Um, I feel like if you get this person onto the Reason platform, it's much, much easier because you have like one platform, you compile one, uh, you install one package, you have the compiler in there, you have the linter in there, uh, you have the type checker in there. Um, the it's syntax has like you you have a formatter in there you have a standard style how to do things uh, dedicated or dictated by by reason itself okay so, so it takes a lot of burden off from you there's no reason ml fatigue 
Yeah, I think like the, the biggest fatigue you can get is still when you need to use a lot of JavaScript star, uh, stuff like Webpack or whatever and try to integrate it somehow or you have a legacy project and you wanted to integrate Reason in there, there might be problems of doing things because JavaScript has different ideas on how to mm. store your files or you know what I mean? Like there's still some rough edges there. But if you start off from a clean project, you have reason, you have some dedicated people who know their stuff, it's much, much easier to keep the team fast. So I think this is really the tricky thing here, right? And that you get some kind of criticism, critical amount of people that, that this really starts to drive. Yeah. But it's 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 cool. It's cool that we have such thing in, in Vienna, yeah. It's always surprising what what, what Viennese people are all doing, yeah. Yeah. And what else do we have in Vienna? Perfect, perfect. Uh, so, so what is your what is your favorite meetup? I, I guess it's the Reason and Valley meetup. I guess you host yeah. one, right? We have a Reason Vienna group. Yeah. On meetup.com, we usually do a meetup once a month. Uh, it's mostly most of the time we we just try to sit together and code in Reason, so people get used to the language or get to learn it, get to know it. And sometimes we visit companies using Reason and really? talk a little bit about what they are using Reason for. That's cool. Um, yeah, right now there is no meetup scheduled, but I will probably take another one up uh, in March. That's so. perfect, because this episode is published on the 1st of March. Oh, perfect. Yeah, so probably in in mid of March somewhere. Okay. So so what else do we have? Well, apart from that, I'm trying to get Coding Dojo Vienna again running, so about every two weeks, so to get it at a higher rate again. And as well, David, you have a conference coming up later yeah, this year. Like there's um, still, still a lot of time, right? Yeah, there's still a lot of time, but it's never too early to buy tickets, actually. <laughs> so what's the conference so, called? Um, the conference is called Codecrafts. It's all about crafting exceptional software. So the idea was, we had this idea um, at AgentConf, actually, that we said we want to create a com create a conference in Vienna which which somehow connects the communities, right? Um, I think this was also one of the ideas of Def Melange initially when we created it, right? That we bring together different people of different communities because I think we are somehow sometimes a little bit too biased and, and maybe also um, yeah, don't don't like to look left and right. And and this 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 idea of this conference is more about concepts, principles, practices. So it's not really focused on one framework or one specific feature or version of a framework it's really about ideas and, and concepts that make you a better developer i would say right so it's it will be a lot about software craftsmanship it will be a lot about clean architecture it will be a lot about agile practices it will be all about um, how you highly efficiently can um, develop software as an organization or as an individual so this is this is um, mainly the focus okay let's see so finally, Patrick, your, your final one minute. Do you have anything to advertise? Uh, company, your own stuff? Can we hire you to <laughs> build on some uh, build us some reason, coolie? I mean, cool well, what we, we didn't talk about this. So what 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 are you uh, what are you doing then besides com community work? Um, I'm also like a freelancer. Okay. And uh, I mean, I focused myself on um, working on code bases, which need a, a dire need of static type systems or static typing it's a it's a weird niche because a lot of people don't seem 
like don't find it too important or not a, uh, okay. not a lot of companies but um, there is a rise of TypeScript nowadays so maybe yeah. uh, this is more interesting now for companies um, I want to focus more uh, on companies who who maybe suffer from performance problems when they're developing stuff or they want to build uh, really mission critical apps um, mm. for instance if you're like an online shop and and you have like a million customers and when the button doesn't work when you click the buy button and you lose a lot of revenue because of that. That's uh, really intriguing for me because I feel like this is like the perfect use case for reason where you can really make sure that the business logic on the UI is working. So thank you very much, um, dear audience, for listening to us again. Um, I hope um, it was the same pleasure for you than it was for us. Thank you a lot, Patrick, for joining us. Um, thank you for having me. Sure. I'd like to like to see you again in the future maybe yeah? for a delicious cup of developer Milosh. <laughs> 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 <laughs>